there, I'm Leslie Goodburn. You're listening to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. In the podcast, we look at pancreatic cancer across its impacts, outcomes, and future treatment and support. We'll hear from patients, loved ones about the reality of the diagnosis. We'll hear from surgeons, oncologists, and nurses about the work they do to support people who are affected. We'll hear about the wonderful work done by researchers to find a breakthrough in understanding and treatments for the future. We hope that as a result of the podcast, you'll learn more about the signs and symptoms, about how this diagnosis affects the family, about the hope for the future. Thank you for listening. Charlotte and I look forward to you joining us on our journey through pancreatic cancer throughout the 30 days of November with contributors from across the world. The Purple Rainbow podcasts are produced as part of Seth's legacy in memory of my wonderful, kind, curious, funny husband, Seth Goodburn. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm Charlotte. And today I am talking to Howard Crawford. Howard is the scientific director of the Henry Ford Pancreatic Cancer Center in Detroit in Michigan in the United States. He began by telling me what it is he does. I'm a basic scientist. I'm not a clinical scientist. I don't see patients uh, except for as the patients I interact with uh, in my some of my charity work, but uh, I don't treat patients. Let's put it that way. Uh, my laboratory focuses on uh, how pancreatic cancer uh, forms and how it's related in particular to uh, the chronic inflammation of the pancreas or chronic pancreatitis. And since I've moved to Detroit in the past year and a half, I am now focused also on the racial disparities of uh, pancreatic cancer. So if you don't know, Detroit is about a 77% African-American um, populated city. And our, the patient population at, at Henry Ford reflects that. So about 22, 23% of our, our pancreatic cancer patients are also African-American. And they happen to be at a 20% higher risk for uh, developing pancreatic cancer. Really that high? That's That That has shocked me. Yes, it is that high. I mean, there's a, some data out there that suggests that they have a poor outcome, but we've done some studies within our clinic to suggest that maybe that's not exactly right when everything is controlled for, but the 20% incidence is something that sticks around for all different African-American communities. Uh, and so we're definitely interested in, in finding out why that is. I suppose when you move when you move somewhere new, different problems and different uh, trends jump out at you, don't they? And it gives you something new to look at, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. It's interesting. I just moved to the University of Michigan. It's only about uh, forty five minutes uh, from here, but uh, the population patient population there is almost exclusively uh, white, and so the what you say is new perspectives are forming, but also new opportunities to understand this disease better. Because if we understand why someone is at a greater risk, whether they're African-American or not, uh, we're going to understand more about the disease, potentially how to treat it and and for everyone, not just for, for one population or the other. And it's one of these things, isn't it? We hear a lot about health inequalities throughout whatever we're looking at. There are health inequalities. How much is racial inequality part of that health inequality? 
Uh, it's very significant, particularly in the African-American community. I mean, it's interesting that uh, Hispanic Americans are actually at lower risk for pancreatic cancer than, than white Americans. So it isn't just, you know, uh, a different than being white. It's, it's very much associated with being African-American. Uh, and then uh, there's so many things that go into that, particularly with access to healthcare, which of course we kind of controlled for with our studies to show that the outcomes for African-American patients and white patients are not different within the Henry Ford system. Um, uh, so we've controlled for that, but then there are all kinds of other stressors in the sense that, you know, what, I don't know how familiar you are with the term food desert, you know, where they, where uh, certain communities do not have access to healthy food. Uh, their, their, you know, their grocery stores are tend to be smaller and less well stocked, and uh, not as not as good of uh, nutrition uh, that you can get in some more affluent communities. Uh, then, of course, there's just the stress of you know, being a, a black American is very different than, than any of the stresses that, that affect white Americans. So there's a, I shouldn't say very different, but there's certainly a unique set of stresses that African-Americans have to deal with. So all kinds of things can come into play. And of course, it's probably never just one or the other. It's probably the cumulative, but that's what we're trying to deconvolute. So how are you looking into that then? What are you doing to to research well, it starts with having this patient population that's unique compared to most of the health systems in the U.S. Um, so first of all, we have access to patient samples. So when they uh, become diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, they generally have a biopsy. So we have access to the tissues that, that are pulled out of the biopsy. If they're diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and they qualify for surgery, which you know probably from doing this podcast, about 20% of patients qualify for surgery. Uh, so we have access to those tissues and those, those materials. And then of course we have access to most easily their blood that we can look for markers and, um, and maybe even some specific, not just markers of having the disease, but, but a uniqueness to their particular disease, such as their immune response, uh, which we think is gonna be very different. So having access to all that tissue, uh, and all those samples, uh, we can uh, study molecular details of what's different. So we're, we're doing simple things like sequencing their tumors uh, and finding out if there's genetic differences. We're looking at the genes that they express, if they're unique in that population compared to the white population. Uh, and we're looking at there's uh, the genes they express are associated with um, what are called molecular subtypes, something that was defined in the UK, actually by Andrew Biancan and his uh, group, is uh, the molecular subtypes suggested, suggesting that um, uh, certain patients have more aggressive tumors that can be identified by the genes that they're expressing. So we're looking at, at whether there's a disproportionate number of patients in the African-American community that have just naturally have more aggressive disease genetically, gene expression wise, um, et cetera. It sounds very complex, but, <laughs> but also quite simple at the same time with that. Does that make any sense at all? It's, it's, uh, no, I understand. It's like, and it is simple. It's, it's, to think about science is we always have to reduce reality to something that we can understand. And then we add complexity on top of that when we find out our simple way of looking at it really isn't the way it should be looked at. So we start with something simple. We see something different between two populations and we say, oh, here's my difference. So the differences you define when you when you reduce everything to certain um, 
qualities is usually too simplistic. And so as you study more and you add layers, you start to understand the biology of the disease more while you're it starts simple, it gets more complicated. And of course, when you find out what the real answer is, you can simplify it again. You forget all the background noise that you just studied for probably 20 or 30 years. <laughs> just forget that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the beauty of science, isn't it? You're taking something really simple, making it complex, and then making it simple again so that everyone can understand what you have been doing for the last 25, 30 years. It's an interesting lifestyle to to be a scientist because we do have to uh, reduce things to the point we can understand them, study them to the point that we get to an, something that's relevant. And then when we look at something that's relevant, you really look behind you and see, you look at all that stuff you looked at, and most of it wasn't relevant, but it, it got you to the place where you found something actionable, something that you can use to really help patients. So in what you've been studying so far, what have been some of the surprises that have, that have popped up along the way for you? Well, surprises for me, um, I hope I don't get too deep into the weeds. I'll try to make this as basic as possible. But I study early transitions that happen in the pancreas that lead to pancreatic cancer. And so after studying the molecular reasons and explanations for how pancreatic cancer forms, what I found is that some of the exact same processes that are happening that early reemerge in very late pancreatic cancers. So some of the same molecular changes that happen very early are happening or re-emerging again very late. And so I'm finding that I spent all this time looking at something a lot of people say, hey, why are you studying early pancreatic cancer? Because we don't diagnose people with early pancreatic cancer. Nobody comes in the clinic and says, ooh, I think I might have pancreatic cancer. They, they, they get diagnosed very late. So it's been reassuring to me that, that by studying this early disease, we're actually finding out some very interesting things about the late disease in a way, potentially relates to what we were just talking about. Early disease is a little more simple. Late disease is a lot more complicated, but I'm looking at the simple part of it. And so it's turning out to be quite relevant. So I'm happy about that. I didn't know it was going to happen. That's one of those things. You invest your time and your energy and your brain power into one direction and think it's interesting, at least to you, and find out, oh, it's not just interesting to me. It's actually going to be useful for the patients in the long run. So we can't always predict what's going to, to be the most relevant discoveries. And where you are, you mentioned about the, the racial makeup and of, of the area and, and how that's affecting things. Obviously, race, race is such a hot topic. It's a difficult thing sometimes to broach in, in places without getting caught up in saying, if people get worried that they're going to say the wrong thing, they're going to offend someone, they're going to be, be defeated, say, just get, in, get themselves cancelled, for want of a better word. How, how do you as scientists broach that? Well, we have a lot to deal with in this country in particular. I mean, there's a very well-earned distrust of the medical community from the African-American community. Um, and it's it shows up in numerous ways. For instance, just asking patients that have been diagnosed if they would participate in a research study has its own barriers. Um, but what's nice about being in a place like Henry Ford, where a large proportion of the overall patient population, not just the pancreatic can cancer population, uh, is African-American. They have come to trust the institution to some degree. And of course, we actually have a very diverse, um, we have a very diverse workforce as well. So when it's, it's a lot different for somebody that, just take my word for it, looks like me asking an African-American patient for, hey, you want to be in this study, it's going to potentially save a lot of lives. Uh, 
they might not look at me as someone they trust immediately, but people that work with me look just like them uh, and they can invest in that, that conversation more readily. And so it, it's, it's a very, it's very complicated, as you said, um, but there are ways to, to move past it and I think accomplish what we need to accomplish. What would you like to see happen next in the world of pancreatic cancer? Well, I want to see a I mean, cure. obviously a cure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's start there and move backwards again. Just That's the simple. simple. <laughs> uh, well, what we're all looking forward to is what happens when the, the KRAS inhibitors hit the clinics. Um, I think you've probably heard from others that uh, there are KRAS inhibitors that KRAS being the primary driver of pancreatic cancer and therefore thought to be the Achilles heel for pancreatic cancer as well. Uh, we have inhibitors that, 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 only affect certain mutations that are not found very prominently in, in pancreatic cancer. So maybe it's more prominent or is more prominent in lung cancer and colon cancer, for instance. But soon we're going to have inhibitors that hit the mutations most commonly found in pancreatic cancers. And uh, we're lo really looking forward to that. The, the fun thing about science is we always anticipate there's going to be resistance that forms. So we are anticipating that and already asking in the laboratory what resistances, what are the mechanisms of resistance to what the KRS inhibitors that haven't even hit the clinics are going to be. So, yeah, so we're ready for it. <laughs> we, we've been burned before. We, we Scientists think again, hey, KRAS, let's target that. Uh, and we targeted very poorly in the 80s. We targeted very, very poorly in the 80s. And it didn't work, and it made everything worse. And we thought, oh, well, let's throw up our hands and not, not even try that anymore. But then we learn more and then we say, hey, well, maybe we just did it wrong in the, 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 back in the 80s. And that's the truth. We just did it wrong. Let's do it right and see what works. But along the way, all the other things we try, it looks good for a little bit of time. Resistance forms. You know, why is that? Can we add another drug and another drug and another drug? We want to try to just anticipate this right up front. And what I really enjoy when I'm doing this podcast is I talk to people from all over the world. To, and everyone has the common goal and everyone wants to work together and yes of course there's probably a little bit of competition about who can sort do something first but actually the common goal isn't to be the number one it's to go actually no let's get this let's get pancreatic cancer done let's let's sort it isn't it this is what i love most about my field is that we have that goal and that goal only and you know what i always say Look, if the paper that reports the cure for pancreatic cancer references a paper that references one of my papers, I'll feel like I contributed sufficiently to be happy with my career and my life. So we really just want to get the patients to be able to live a long and healthy life, uh, productive. That's if, if we can do that, we're all happy. We don't care who does it. This is a very collaborative field. And we all work together. We all have grants together. We all write papers together. There is less ego in this field of cancer research than I've ever experienced in the other fields that I've been in. I, I try to pay it forward. I try to bring people into the field and let them know that they're supported and that anything they need that I can provide, they've got. Um, and that's what we do. I mean, that's the only way it's going to work is we all work together and we do it with as little ego as possible. 
Thank you so much to Howard for speaking with me and sharing his insights. It's really interesting to hear what's uh, what he's working on at the moment. And of course, don't forget, we've been doing a podcast every single weekday throughout November for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. We are obviously coming to the end of November now. We have one more episode left for tomorrow. But don't forget, you can go back and listen to all of these episodes and all of the episodes we've done previously as well, because these episodes go nowhere. You just need to search for them and you can find them and you can listen to them. And of course, you can also go on the purplerainbow.co.uk website. You can find the podcast there and you can also find out more about what it is that we do here.